You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This episode of Gators Breakdown is brought to you by my bookie. Double your first deposit up to a thousand dollars. Head to mybookie.ag and use promo code GATORS to activate the offer. Bet, win, get paid at mybookie. Gators Breakdown. The Gators Fan Podcast. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Joining me this episode is Will Miles, as he does every Monday evening. A little late here if you're, check- if you're checking out the uh, live version uh, on YouTube. But, of course, we're going to get the episode out. And you can find Will's work at readandreaction.com and him on Twitter at WillMilesSCC. Will, man, just, uh, there's nothing to talk about, right? <laughs> No, not at all. There's absolutely nothing to talk about. Nothing going on. Just a solid win on to Tennessee. There's never a dull moment. And uh, you know what? Uh, I, I say it every time. It, it, the University of Florida lives up to that moniker pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, obviously you never want to see anybody get injured, but you know, next the the injury does require discussion and sort of understanding about what Florida has waiting in the wings beyond Felipe Franks, and you know, wish we wish him well, and and certainly never want to see an injury like that. But once it happens, you know, wish a speedy recovery. And and he was playing pretty well, to be honest, when, when he went down. And so to have Trask come in and, and show out pretty well was obviously a welcome sight, especially down going into the fourth quarter. So, you know, Florida certainly keeps us on our toes, that's for sure. And uh, there's always something to talk about. And we'll get to all that stuff that we have to talk about, and we'll quickly get into it. But before we do, remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news4jacks.com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there. Catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube. Many of you out there live uh, checking us out on uh, YouTube Live right now. So thank you very much for that. And using those services, please share, rate, and review the show. And on social media, follow Gators Breakdown on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. Later this week, uh, should be on Thursday, talking with Troop every week, exclusive on news4jacks.com. Of course, we have plenty to talk about with Ben Troop, too, so you'll be able to get his thoughts on Felipe Franks being injured, Kyle Trask, Emory Jones uh, taking over, uh, and his thoughts after Kentucky and moving forward to Tennessee. Also get your Gators breakdown gear at squadlocker.com. Head over there, head over to that uh, website, click in the top right of the screen, click on find your store and type Gators breakdown. And all the Gators breakdown gear is available right there. Shirts, hat, polos, and more at squad locker. So uh, we'll, of course, uh, on Mondays, we, we do get uh, Dan Mullen talking to the media, um, you know, a couple of days after, after the game and did let it, be known the extent of Felipe Frank's injury, a dislocated ankle with a fracture, and he'll miss six months. It will require a surgery that he'll have next week. Uh, and, you know, of course, uh, no surprise here, I don't think. You know, Mullen asked him to stay home today, get some rest, but Franks was right there in the team meeting anyway. So, Will, it is time to move on, of course, uh, from Felipe Franks and, and and talk about know the future with Kyle Trask and Emory Jones. But before we get, you know, heavy into this in that discussion of the new quarterbacks, it deserves to be mentioned what Felipe Franks means to this team on and off the field. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that there's obviously time to move on from him for this year. I don't know that we necessarily move on from him from his Florida career. I mean, he's still yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. That's what I meant. My bad. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's, <laughs> he still has eligibility, obviously, and and still has a cannon for an arm. So as long as he doesn't decide to go pitch for the Red Sox, we probably have an opportunity to see him out there again. So certainly, you wish him a speedy recovery and. And, you know, I think one of the things that you really admire about Franks is that he's he's taken all the bullets. I mean, this was something I wrote about in my article coming out of the game was that, you know, when McIlwain wasn't willing to take those bullets in that 2017 season, Franks was there. He was answering all the questions and he was the one who was sort of put on the spot. 
really at a situation where he had been put in there and and wasn't really ready to be to at least face Michigan. Certainly wasn't ready to face Georgia, but he was the guy who had to stand up and face the music. And you you really have to admire that about a guy. Now you know you can have your opinions about whether he was a good quarterback or not, but at the end of the day, you can't doubt that he worked his butt off and that he's gotten better in his three years at Florida. And and uh, certainly I expect him to get better through this as well. I mean, this is it really sucks to have an injury like this, obviously, but beyond that it does mean that to get better, you're going to have to study and learn and look at film and those sorts of things. And I'm sure that he'll do that based and based on, you know, showing up on a day when he doesn't have to and Mullen had sort of told him not to, you expect that he's going to improve in every way he can uh, while he's recovering from the injury. Yeah. There. And you kind of, kind of on the field and, and stat wise, will, you know, kind of one look back at, at Frank's, you know, as we move on with the other quarterbacks coming up uh, this season, Frank's rate, Ranks eight nationally in completion percentage, 54 of 71, 76.1%, uh, as well as fifth nationally among quarterbacks with at least 70 attempts. So it's also 20th in passing efficiency rating. So, yeah, I know that the fan base is split on Felipe Franks and and whether you thought he was getting the job done well enough or not. Uh, of course, you know, we don't have to worry about it now. Uh, and we'll, move on, we'll move on and move forward with the, the rest of the quarterbacks. Um, I just didn't like uh, the thought, the narrative out there that Felipe Franks hasn't improved, uh, and you know we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll see how these other quarterbacks react to being the guy now. Uh, but uh, to me, you know, Felipe Franks did get better. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you could see it on film. You can see it in the stats. I think this year it was frustrating because of all the turnovers that we saw. But, Mm -hmm. you know, we mentioned last week that Franks hadn't necessarily been a turnover machine coming into the year. And so you figure that he was just maybe trying to do a little bit too much, particularly on the on the interception that he threw against Kentucky on the opening drive, which was a really bad throw and a really bad decision, obviously. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, quarterbacks are not perfect. Right. I mean, Florida has been blessed to have guys like Danny Werfel and and Tim Tebow and all the guys who have who've come before them who who really were excellent in Spurrier's offense, but really pretty good quarterbacks on of their own right. And, you know, you get three Heisman Trophy winners at quarterback, and obviously that's sort of the expectation. Franks was never that guy, at least he hasn't been thus far, but um but certainly from the standpoint of where Florida was in 2017 and where he had him last year and even where he had him this year, I think he's done a really good job of leading the team, being a leader, making sure everybody buys into what Mullen's, what Mullen's trying to sell. And, and I think that's a significant contribution as well, right? That, that if the quarterback had decided to give Mullen a hard time when Mullen came in, it would have been a really hard sell. But Frank's bought in, worked hard, and has gotten better. And that's really all you can ask. All right, so yep, it, it is the uh, you know Kyle Trask, Emory Jones show uh, moving forward here, and get to break down a lot of what uh, what Dan Mullen uh, had to say in in his press conference. And while it looks like Kyle Trask is a starter moving forward, Mullen made sure to bring up Emory Jones a good bit as well in the press conference. Mullen stressed that Trask and Emory have gotten enough uh, reps and, and and are prepared to start. Uh, the head coach also went on to say the offense won't change a whole lot with Trask and Jones. Uh, they bring us up. They bring something a little different to the table. Uh, they can run. Uh, this was, you know, something that caught a lot of people's uh, ears here. And he says they can run the same play two different ways. Uh, and well, to me, that probably means in the passing game and in design runs as well. You know, while Trask is probably more adept to try and, and run over a defender while running, Jones in the run game is a, is a bit more elusive. And also on design passing plays, Emory's probably more adept to escape the pocket and make something happen with his legs. Yeah, I mean, they're just very different skill sets for the different quarterbacks, right? And Trask is never going to be somebody that you're going to say is elusive or that you're going to say is a is a runner. I mean, he's a pocket passer. He was recruited for McIlwain's system. That's, you know, that's kind of what we should expect. Obviously, you could be effective within Mullen's system being that kind of guy. Um, but for the most part, he's had dual threat quarterbacks, and then Marie Jones fits that bill. So I think it's it's the same thing. You know, I, I know a lot of people bring up the Tebow and, and Leak comparisons, but it is similar, right? I mean, Leak was a guy who looked very uncomfortable running some of those read options where he held the ball. You were looking at like a one or two yard gain if Leak held onto it and really just sort of the threat needed to be there. It didn't need to be a giant staple of the offense. I think Trask is a little bit more of a threat than the leak was but at the same time i think if you've got emory jones in there you're going to get somebody coming downhill if he's got if he's got the open space um it is interesting that he mentioned emory jones though just because they've had such a tough time running the ball 
mm-hmm. that you do wonder whether the running quarterback, if you, I mean, if you can't block, if you can't keep the defensive lineman off the quarterback, then you do sort of have to go to what your strength is. And thus far, Florida's strength has been throwing the ball, even with Trask, even with Trask in the game. So you do wonder. Is that what they're going to end up having to do just because of some of the limitations up front? And that may limit what they can do with Emory Jones. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, if the pass blocking for whatever reason, when the SEC schedule starts and it becomes a problem too, maybe that screams for more Emory Jones because they'll have to, you know, escape some of the pressure. You know, I think how the season plays out, uh, especially within the next month, uh, kind of bears out who may get more of the snaps moving forward. It does look like Trask right now. And I know Mullen mentioned after the game uh, that they had a plan to get Emory Jones in and, and Kyle Trask was playing so well. Uh, and uh, you know, just Jones just kind of goes by the wayside because you didn't want to stop uh, a, a hot Trask. And look, I, I'm glad he said that. It lets you know that you know, adjustments are being made in game. Uh, you don't have to stick to a plan uh, necessarily. You can adjust the plan. The plan was to play Emory Jones, have a package for him, have him take some snaps. But you sit here and and, and you see Kyle Trask playing well. He's in a groove. Um, the offense is moving. Uh, and you're doing the right thing by, you know, you don't have to stick to your gun just because you said you were going to do it earlier. You made a decision to move forward with Kyle Trask. He's playing well. It's, and it ended up, you know, with a 19 to nothing uh, a scoring run to win the game. I mean, they averaged 10.6 yards per play in the fourth quarter. So when you're averaging a first down every play, there just isn't going to be an opportunity to get the second guy in there, right? I mean, it was bam, bam, bam. I mean, one of the things I told somebody at work today, they asked me about the game, and I told I told them that the surprising thing was that when Franks went out and Florida got the fourth down stop, basically on the first play of the fourth quarter, you're sitting there kind of thinking, okay, maybe it's going to take four or five minutes for Florida to drive down the field and score. Like if you're Kentucky, maybe you play back, you come up and you make a few tackles, and you make Florida zinc and dunk their way down the field with the backup quarterback. And all of a sudden it was like, bam, 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 touchdown. 12 minutes left and Florida's down by five. And, you know, you could feel Kentucky sort of tighten up at that point. Um, you know, and then you get the really bad interception from Smith to Sean Davis. And, and obviously that one goes down the field as well. So, you know, it was one of those things where typically a backup comes in, things slow down, drives take longer. And actually, we sort of saw the reverse in this game where, you know, maybe the offense felt a little bit lumbering under Franks, and then the pace was really very different once Trask came in. Now, again, the pace is always dependent upon success. So if you're moving the ball a ton, then then it feels like you're going faster maybe than you would if you were just getting two and three yard gains. But I was very impressed by the way Trask played. I think it's different when you're the starting quarterback. And so with Tennessee having a week to to game plan for him, I think that'll make a difference. But also, you know, Trask has had a week to prepare to be the starter. So um, it'll be interesting to see how how the offense looks with him uh, moving forward. Uh, Muller was asked if the quarterback situation could be like Lee and Tebow. Uh, of course, everybody knows back in 20, uh, 2006. And, you know, Muller, this caught uh, a lot of eyes as well. Mullen says Emory's further along uh, than Tebow in 06. Then, you know, he says it'd be fun to piece the offense together. And a lot of people took that Emory further along uh, than Tebow, uh, quote, I think the wrong way. Uh, And, you know, of course, we're looking at quotes here and people will will digest them uh, a little bit different. But uh, in no ways, I don't think he was, you know, shaming Tebow or, or anything like that. Uh, you you got to go back and remember, Tim Tebow was a true freshman in 2006. This is Emory Jones' second year. Of, you know, he should be further along, and that's not necessarily a shot at anybody. Yeah, well, I mean, Emory came in in the spring as well. Yeah. So he's so he's had two spring practices. He's had he's had two fall pra- You know, he's had the practices that you need in order to get up to speed on the offense. To be honest. I was actually a little bit surprised two weeks ago against UT Martin and then last week against Kentucky that Emory Jones wasn't the backup quarterback. I sort of assumed that's the guy who would be the backup just because you you figure he's getting the second team reps because if something, you know, you need him ready to play next year. Though, obviously, Trask has won the job apparently in, in practice. And so he's, you know, you play the best player. But yeah, I mean, I, he should be further than Tebow, right? I, I don't think that's a shot at Tebow. I think it's also a realization that, you know, if you get a full year of coaching at the college level, you you should be better than a guy who doesn't, and that, and that's really all that is. Yeah, exactly there. So, 
Um, going back, you know, uh, Mullen did throw the wrinkle out there that Emory and Trask could be on the field at the same time. Uh, and says hey, how they adjust in game will be an important aspect of, of those guys moving forward. Uh, now all we can do is speculate on on what that looks like. You know, does Emory Jones line up out wide like Tony and, and has an option to pass the ball after catching a screen? Uh, you've seen your quarterbacks do that before. Uh, does Emory line up in the backfield next, next to Trask uh, with some kind of confusion there? You know, those seem to be the most plausible scenarios, but Mullen, you know, has a chance to get creative here uh, if this is not just lip service or gamesmanship to throw opposing coaches off. And, you uh, know, uh, this is a this is a chance to get creative. Do we actually see it or does it does they go do they go a little more conservative? We've seen Mullen take advantage uh, of plays and defenses out there and play you know going back to the Tony you know touchdown pass last year against Mississippi State that was a difference in that game. Uh, you know, maybe if there's a uh, a closed, hard-fought game that you know is coming up in the next month. It may just be one of those plays where Emory and Trask are on the field at the same time. That's a a, a, a creative play that you, that opposing defense has never seen before, has not seen that formation before. That makes a difference. Yeah, I kind of hope this is a smokescreen. I mean, I think you have to be a little bit careful because you already lost Franks running the ball gets injured and obviously it's a little bit of a freak play on a fourth down but still your quarterback was exposing himself and he got injured and you only got two more so you do need to protect him a little bit i mean you know he talks about people being willing runners i'm not sure that you necessarily want trust to be a winning willing runner and i'm not necessarily sure that you know i mean that emory jones is ready in the passing game to not have to do the running so you know i, I think you can put them both out there sure i I hope it's more that they're going to use the playmakers that they have. I mean, it's not as if they don't have playmakers on the field who who can do a bunch of things, especially when Tony gets back. So, um, you know, maybe he does that and it's, and it's sort of a little wrinkle to sort of throw the defense off to get the defense, to take a timeout, those sorts of things. But I, I do think that you need to be a little bit careful at this point that you don't injure a guy out there when you could give the ball to Jacob Copeland, or you could give the ball to, to Josh Hammond. Instead of doing that, if you give the ball to Emory Jones in a in a you know a bubble screen type situation, unless you're setting it up for later throwing a bubble you know sort of a double pass, I don't know that it makes a whole lot of sense. Just because you you know you've got a limited number of hits those guys can take, and you don't want to do it if you've got all those skill players on the outside. That to be honest, they're having trouble getting all their skill players the ball. Um, yeah. You know, so why not go ahead and just get it to those guys and and not worry about exposing a, your backup quarterback to to extra hits. Yeah, this is something um, that we could we, we could get into here. Uh, we, we were asked a question, Will, uh, the, that just sprung the question to, to mind: is you know why is Florida having trouble getting so many players or, or you know playmakers the ball uh, there? And part of it's you know still not running enough plays. Less than sixty plays versus Miami. Less than sixty plays versus uh, Kentucky. Um, kind of discussed that in the last episode of Gators Breakdown, and it's just. Uh, Third down conversions on defense is keeping the uh, defense on the field. Uh, offenses that had some turnovers, six turnovers uh, in, in the game versus uh, Miami and uh, Kentucky. Only had 14 last year. So, uh, you know, Franks was responsible for a lot of those there. So we'll see if that is cleaned up. But, uh, yeah, the, the playmakers are there. And, you know, whoever lines up a quarterback will, it may just be take you may just have to take advantage more uh, of the playmakers Florida has at, at wide receiver since the since the run game's not necessarily working. And the, the, the weapons at wide receiver could be the difference uh, in the season. I know I've seen a lot of people out there wondering if maybe Florida will go air raid now <laughs> for the rest <laughs> of the season uh, just because of the, the weapons and, and what you saw Kyle Trask do uh, in the fourth quarter versus Kentucky here. And uh, just some numbers uh, here uh, about the, the playmakers at receiver. Van Jefferson recorded the third game of 90 plus receiving yards by Gator this year. Uh, last season, Gators pass catchers combined for three games uh, of 90-plus receiving there. So in three games, Florida's already matched last year's uh, total. Kyle Pitts career, uh, posted career highs in receptions with four and receiving yards 63. His previous career highs were three receptions against Miami this year and 52 yards against Idaho last year. Freddie Swain became the sixth different Gator to catch a touchdown pass this season. Uh, add in what Hammond has been able to do uh, this season. You know, Josh Hammond's 76-yard uh, touchdown run to, to kind of seal the comeback win at Kentucky was Florida's fourth scrimmage play of 60-plus yards this year. Oklahoma State leads college football with five, but only Florida, Colorado State, Nebraska, and Western Michigan have four. 
uh, there. So, you know, Hammond has two of the four 60-yard plays, uh, the touchdown run versus Kentucky and his 65-yard reception that set up Florida's game-winning touchdown against Miami. So, Will, while it does seem, you know, and it is, the offense is struggling at times this year, there is big playability when you look at these wide receivers. Yeah, I mean, I think that was one of the things you saw when Trask came in is there was definitely a focus to get the ball to Van Jefferson. And then they went back to focusing to get the ball to Kyle Pitts there for the big play there that got him down down to the five-yard line. And obviously, that guy looks like he's a beast when he's out there. But, you know, Florida's offense wasn't terrible. They averaged 5.3 yards in the yards per play in the first quarter, though that was one where you had the interception and then you've got the fumble after the long, after the long throw. They averaged eight yards per play in the second quarter. And one of the things I really noticed on Twitter after that quarter was they didn't score any points, which is really hard to do when you when you when you average eight yards per play. Part of that was a missed field goal. Part of that was the turnovers. Part of that was a holding on one of Frank's touchdown runs. So, you know, one of the things that I think is is important to remember, and I think you know, you go to people who do, um, you know, who do. Yeah, what's the word I'm looking for? Like you look at people who are successful, Bill Belichick being one of them, he always talks about doing your job. And I think that's one of the things on the offensive side of the ball that Florida just really needs to focus on that, you know, you can't do everyone else's job. You just have to do yours. And so if the tight end is responsible for a chip, he has to make sure he chips. If the guard is responsible for pulling over, he has to make sure he gets out and gets there. If you're responsible for holding the point of attacks that your pulling guard can get around, then you need to do that. If you're the receiver, you have to catch the ball. If you're the quarterback, you got to make the right read. All all those things go together to make a successful offense. And I think those things started to gel really in the second quarter for Florida. But then in the third quarter, they sort of had the disjointed drive that ended on the fourth down where Franks got injured. And after that, Kentucky couldn't stop them. And the other the other aspect to that is just they really couldn't get on the field that much. So it was mm-hmm. 13 plays in the first quarter, 13 in the second quarter, 10 in the third and then 21 in the fourth. So once they finally got on the field, once the defense finally started getting some stops, mm-hmm. Florida was able to get something going on offense and it felt more sustained. I don't know that it wasn't more sustained earlier in the game. It was just that, A, they weren't converting it into points because of the turnovers and the missed field goals and the penalties and, and things like that. But B, there were more of them in the fourth quarter because all of a sudden they were getting the ball back. I mean, Kentucky was three and ounce interceptions, all sorts of stuff in the fourth quarter. And for the first three quarters, Florida just could not get off the field on third down. I think those two things combined sort of made it feel like the offense was more futile than it, than it actually was. Um, But obviously they put up 200, 200 of their 400 yards in the fourth quarter. So certainly made it, made it much more effective in the fourth quarter. But, um, you know, I, I I didn't look at it throughout the game and think, oh, Florida's having a ton of trouble moving the ball. They were just really, really reliant on Franks, but that didn't change in the fourth quarter. They were still reliant on Trask until the until the run by Hammond. It was just, you know, Trask was able to deliver and they didn't kick they didn't shoot themselves in the foot on every drive. All right. Uh well, we'll have some uh, thoughts on the offensive line and stuff coming up here and the defense as well. But before we move forward, uh, any more thoughts uh, on Kyle Trask? Uh, from, I know you released your latest article on Read and Reaction and, and, and was breaking down some of what you, what you got to see from Kyle Trask. And, uh, you know, we'll see how much of Emory Jones we see, we see moving forward. And, you know, if, if take Dan Mullen for his word here, we'll, we'll see it. We'll see some Emory Jones uh, coming up. So, in Kyle Trask, you know, there's there's been the debate ever since Kyle Trask and, and Felipe Franks came in together of uh, of who should play, and Kyle Trask has some good spring performances, and maybe he should be the starting quarterback, but it always seemed to be after spring and, and, and fall camps the last two years, Felipe Franks winning the starting job. And, you know, some of the fan base out there still didn't think it was the best decision. I, I always lean toward the coaches and them making the right decision and the best decision. And, you know, does it always turn out that way? No, but uh, for what? You know, Dan Mullen's looking to do uh, in, in this offense. Uh, I've ag- I agreed from everything I have seen and, and read and heard uh, there that you know, Felipe Franks was the right choice to be the number one quarterback. But now we get uh, we get to see Kyle Trask for an extended period of time. And in the end, when 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 Florida's beating FSU uh, Thanksgiving weekend, hopefully we all look back at this and I, and I'm hope I'm and I hope I'm saying, you know, Kyle Trask is is a better quarterback than Felipe Franks. And I'm not saying that as a shot to Felipe Franks here, but I'm just looking at that as for Florida to take the next step, then the quarterback's going to have to take the next step. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's something that we've been saying for a while now. Now, you know, Trash played very, very well against Kentucky. I think we need to recognize that Kentucky was missing really two of its defensive backs at that point, one who was out for targeting and then one who looked like he injured his leg pretty seriously. Um, you know, so I think Kentucky backed off a little bit and wanted to make sure that he could that he could that he could lead. I think maybe they took their foot off the gas a little bit when Franks went out with the injury. Um, so I think you combine all of those things. And then you say Trask came in, was ready. He was prepared. He certainly had timing down with his receivers because some of those routes required some timing and he was, he was able to hit them. He 13 attempts for 126 yards, 9.7 yards per attempt. And then the one rush, obviously for the touchdown. I mean, he played very, very well. So I think you look at that and say the guy has enough experience in the offense that he seems to be able to execute the entire offense. Um, one of the plays that I'm actually remembering is one that he missed. He threw It was a tight end play down in the red zone where he missed Kroll. I mean, in, he missed it intentionally because Kroll wasn't really open. Kentucky guarded it pretty well. But, you know, that kind of play is the kind of thing that you – it's not something you install the first day of practice. So the fact that they were running that with some misdirection down in the red zone I think does indicate that Trask has a pretty good – pretty good grasp of the offense the thing we didn't see is we didn't see consistent pressure on Trask there in the fourth quarter and so that's always been the knock on him it's been what we've seen in spring game in the spring game it's been what we've seen even against UT Martin there was a play where he almost threw an interception when he came into the game last week and you know when he has to make a decision is he going to throw it away or is he going to throw it to the opposition and you know it was the same thing with Franks. I mean, the reason the Florida offense floundered, I mean, two reasons. One is they couldn't run the ball, but the other reason it's floundered is because they turned the ball over a ton. And if Trask turns the ball over, then Florida's going to have a real hard time winning. Um, they've been pretty fortunate thus far. I mean, obviously, Kentucky turned the ball over more than them, but those two turnovers in the first half could have really killed them and certainly put them behind the eight ball. And then the turnovers against Miami almost cost them the game. So, you know, you come out of that and say, hey, we're 3-0, and but you can't turn the ball over that much. And that's really going to be the place where I think we need to grade Frank grade Trask. Is he making the right decisions? Is he avoiding turning over the ball? And when he gets pressured, does he just take the sack or does he throw it away or does he throw it to the opposition? And if he has a couple of inopportune turnovers, then it's going to really turn a, turn a game or two. And that's what you worry about with a guy who doesn't have a whole lot of experience, not just at the college level, but the high school level as well. All right. We'll also get into uh, coming up with uh, what we know uh, for whoever whoever's playing quarterback. You know when it was Franks, when when it's now going to be uh, Kyle Trask and Emory Jones. They'll need some help in the running game, and we'll get to that. But first, I know some of you out there like to bet on football, and my bookie is the place to bet on football every week. Whether you want to make national title bets or wager on this weekend's games, my bookie has you covered. Um, you know that's you know, and my bookie is is always the right place to play. And you bet, you win, they pay. Have some fun with betting this year with my bookie as they let you bet on which college coaches will get fired, who will make the college football playoff, or win the Heisman Trophy. You can even bet on halftime lines, live odds. If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. Also, my bookie allows you to bet on FBS versus FCS games. So right now, double your first deposit at my bookie. Use promo code Gators to activate the offer. Visit MyBookie online today at MyBookie.ag. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.ag. And don't forget to use promo code GATERS when creating your account to claim the bonus. Bet, win, get paid at MyBookie. So, Will, some uh, offensive line uh, observations from Kentucky and kind of just the same old, same old maybe from the first two games. Uh, You got points where they're stepping on each other, uh, double teaming the wrong defender, Slow pulls uh, at times, just pure, purely getting beat. Uh, but you know, look, that's that's getting beat. That's going to happen sometimes. That's uh, part of part of football. Uh, there, you know, it, it's more the mental side of it that's concerning, and you know, but also some of this is not all that surprising. Now, the potential for for these issues was always going to be there by having so many new players involved in the offensive line. Uh, it certainly hasn't. It certainly has affected the run game. Uh, and these running backs that we think highly of, uh, especially LaMichael Pirine, since he's getting a, a bulk of the carries, he looks tentative because of, uh, of the offensive line. Uh, I was surprised Malik Davis didn't get any carries versus Kentucky. And if you go back to 2017 and, and when he was playing behind the subpar offensive line and was still able to make some big plays happen, so maybe he gets more carries uh, coming up if the offensive line continues to struggle. 
Yeah, you know, it's hard to pinpoint exactly who's at fault. I mean, the play on the fumble, the the right guard was pulling and he missed his guy, and then Gene DeLance, the right tackle, let his guy go past him as well, and Frank's kind of got sandwiched between the two, and that's why the fumble happened. Um, you know, Mullen on the telecast said that he thought somebody was open. I, I kind of looked at the film. I'm not quite sure that the guy was open that Frank's was going to be throwing to, but maybe he would have thrown him open. Um you know, as far as the running game is concerned, or even just blocking in general, there are a lot of plays that have been set up, and then there's one guy who's missing yeah. something. And you could see it a few times where where Florida got where the running back got wrapped up behind the line of scrimmage, and then you sort of look, and there's just like a halo where everybody else had the play blocked, and there's the one guy that you miss. So it, it sort of goes back to what we've been talking about with Frank's all off season, which is that you know, what we're looking for is consistency. You don't necessarily need some giant highs, but you need to not have giant lows. And on the offensive line, it's the same thing that if you've got giant lows, if there's always guys in the backfield, then P Ryan's going to have to dance before he can get ahead of steam. And that's really not his strength. And, you know, you mentioned Malik Davis in 2017. I think he averaged something like 6.7 yards per carry before mm-hmm. before he went out with the injury. And if you looked at Scarlett and P Ryan, they were down like the 4.1, 4.2 yards per carry. And I think the fact that they got up to five and a half or six yards of carry last year, some of that was the offensive line being much, much better than they were the year before. And now you're sort of back to maybe where you were two years ago, at least in terms of where the where the offensive line is now. And you're back down to where those guys aren't necessarily the guys who are going to make somebody miss. Like P. Ryan's one of those guys who turns a five-yard run into seven. Yeah. Well, if he gets hit at the line of scrimmage, it means you got a two-yard run. <laughs> like yep. even, if, even if he falls forward and you sort of saw that on the play, the screen pass where they had Forsyth out there. And I mean, it looked like it was wide open field and he kind of needed to cut back inside or something like that. And I mean, obviously the defensive back made a great play to, to take on Forsyth and then make the tackle as well. But um, at the end of the day, Forsyth got in the way, the running back has to make the guy miss. And um, that's his job out there. And certainly, um, you know, something that you expect to see from him. So again, I, I think it's one of those things where we can point at the offensive line and say there are times that the job isn't necessarily being done there, but we can also point the running backs and say there are times the job isn't being done there. Mm-hmm. And then I think we can also look at the coaching staff. One of the things that, you know, in the second quarter, I think I was just sort of begging for some misdirection yeah. where, you know, help your offensive linemen. Like make it to a point where Kentucky does has their head on a swivel and doesn't know where the run is going to go because those linebackers were firing towards Pirine every time they every time they attempted a handoff and they weren't really worried about Frank's coming around the edge and you know so a he either needs to keep it or b you start running some misdirection and and I diagrammed in a play in the article I wrote on Sunday or Saturday night that. Um, you know, there was a run that Franks ran earlier where, you know, in the red zone, it was sort of a quarterback lead. And then they ran almost like a counter where they had P Ryan go off to the right, like he was going to be a lead blocker. And then Trask ran off to the left on the touchdown run. They were able to seal off the linebackers because they took a false step. Same thing with the reverse to Hammond. It was something where that is a little bit of misdirection. The linebackers were clearly expecting Florida to just hand the ball off to P Ryan let the time run off the clock and punt. And instead they, they hit the end around to Hammond with a little bit of misdirection and the linebackers can't get there for the tackle. So um, that's something that I would look for going forward in the next couple of games is really trying to get teams to where they have to slow down. That was something they really never did the first three quarters against Kentucky. They didn't put anything in place to slow down the linebackers. And when you let the linebackers flow to the play, it puts your offensive linemen at a disadvantage. And so I think there's some schematic stuff that could be done as well that could probably help the running game too. Yeah, they they did come out uh, early on in the game when they were trying to establish some sort of run game, and they were testing the edges uh, a lot more so than they had in the past, and that didn't work either. So I don't know, maybe they got maybe the staff got tentative there, but you know. Even before Franks got injured, we didn't see a whole lot of the the, the speed option uh, to test the edges that we saw work so well toward you know the middle and end of last year. I was kind of you know going back to that the Hammond sweep. It was reminiscent of the Tony sweep last year versus Michigan, and we look at that play as something that works. You know when you're struggling running the ball, and because like you said, the way Kentucky was keying in on the inside run game. Uh, as the game progressed, you know, through, you know, late second quarter in the third quarter, I was looking for that type of play 
there. You know, and it probably needed to be in a short yardage situation and it, to, to, to really work to the effect that it, it eventually did. But, you know, something along the, those lines of, uh, of, like you said, misdirection, testing the edges once more, even though it didn't work early on in the game. Uh, there, so uh, yeah, I, I am like you. I, I do wonder if we'll see some changes uh, along the offensive line um, that we we saw at some point in that game, um, where you know Forsyth goes to right tackle, uh, Delance comes out, and and uh, Richard Garage is in there at left tackle. I'm sure they'll probably try and figure out uh, if the the original starting five is the best combination moving forward. Uh, but you know, maybe even a point too where they're not asking these guards to pull so much and they are firing off at the ball, you know, putting a hat on a hat and, and moving more North South instead of, you know, trying to pull. And cause there's been many times this year where I'm even surprised where Brett, Brett Hege and you know, go back to last year and, and same situations where he excelled. Uh, but uh, him and Blyish you know, on these pulls so far this year, are getting, getting, not really getting there in time. Yeah. But again, I think, I mean, some of that is on the offensive line mode, but I think some of that is also on the scheme. I mean, at the end of the day, if the if 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 the players are coming so aggressively that if the defenders are coming so aggressively that the guy can't get there on the pull, then that tells you that you have an ability to 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 take advantage of him going in the other direction, right? That it gives you an opportunity for a fake. It gives you an opportunity for some misdirection. It gives you an opportunity for those sorts of things. So I, I think it's certainly something that um, that Mullen's going to take into account. But you got to help those guys. I mean, at the end of the day, one of the things we said last year was that he put he put Franks in a position to succeed, right? That was one of the things that we just clamored for from McElwain and never really saw as he sort of threw him out there and said, run my offense. Whereas Mullen very clearly last year, especially early on in the year, protected Franks, gave him just enough to where he sort of was able to be comfortable with what he was running, half field reads, um, you know, and sort of added wrinkles as things went along. They were in 11 personnel a lot last year to start and then started breaking out more four wides and, and even five wides and some other things as the season went on. And by the time you got to the Michigan game, all of a sudden they had all sorts of formations and and uh, and wrinkles, you know, the Pirine sort of screen behind the line of scrimmage is something I'm thinking of there. That's not something they would have run early in the year. So again, I think you're sort of in the same place with the offensive line where, you know, they're going to have to put those guys in a position to succeed. And so, you know, yeah, maybe that means bringing in a different guy if they're not executing the things where you're, where you're putting them in that position, but maybe it means helping them out in some capacity as well. I mean, when was the last like actual screen pass that we saw mm. where they let the rush come in? Right. I mean, they've run the bubble screens. They've run some things where they've got sort of the running back sweeping off to the left or the right to get out in the space. But when's the last time they threw a middle screen where you let the defensive line and the linebackers come crashing in and then you dump it off to either the tight end or the running back over the middle and, and utilize the fact like you got to help them. You got to slow down the defenders in some capacity if they're coming downhill. And there's two ways to do that. One is to throw it and make them pay over the top, which Florida has done a little bit and done pretty successfully. But the other way to make them pay is just to make them pay for being so aggressive. And they haven't really done that either. So again, I, I think certainly there's some personnel things that can change. There are probably some improvements that we need to see on the offensive line. I think they've probably got a couple of weeks to do that before the real big games start this season. But uh, you know, I, I think there's some schematic things to change as well. All right, well, let's move to the other side of the ball before we wrap up here in this Florida defense. Uh, Sean Davis, two interceptions against Kentucky were the first of his career and was the first uh, multi-interception game uh, by Gator since Johnson Gardner Johnson last year uh, in the Peach Bowl. So not didn't take too long for a Gator to make uh, uh, two interceptions in, in one game here. Brad Stewart fumbled a, uh, recovered a fumble as well in the first quarter, so uh, the, the safety position there. Uh, making their presence felt uh, on the season will uh, surprisingly, you know, Florida tied for eight nationally with four interceptions, uh, all of which have come in the last two games. Of course, Kyrie Elam has an interception in each of the last two games. He is the only FBS true freshman with multi multiple interceptions on the season. So making his presence felt early and living up to uh, some status there that he come in as a recruit. Uh, defensive backs, uh, Trey Dean and Brad Stewart, uh, have also recorded a fourth fumble and, and fumble recovery, respectively. So, you know, the five takeaways by Florida secondary have helped the Gators into a tie for 20th nationally uh, with six takeaways. So, something I was definitely looking forward to, um, you know, since after the Miami game, they weren't necessarily able to to, to create some turnovers with, with Jerry Williams making his first start. Um, 
you know, Towson, you may be kind of expected it because they were overmatched. So, you know, in your first SEC games and when you really need them, especially in the fourth quarter, the Gators were able to come up with some turnovers. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you can say is that they don't drop them. Right? <laughs> <laughs> when the ball's out there, these guys are catching it, which, you know, if if you if you watch the – who was it last week? It was, oh, it was, it was an NFL game where, oh, the Arizona Cardinals game where they had the tie where their defensive back came up and had it in overtime, an opportunity to catch the ball and, and basically give his team a shot at the end of overtime. and just went right through his hands and hit him right in the helmet. And, you know, we don't see any of that with these defensive backs, which is great because they, they weren't real good in coverage. So, so they gave up 7.6 yards per attempt. And that's even with giving up, you know, um, that's even with giving up in the fourth quarter three point what three point six yards per attempt over <laughs> in the fourth quarter. So given seven point six, that would have been like eighty fifth, I think, in FBS last year. Um, so that needs to improve. They need to, and a lot of that was one. I think they were physically overmatched. I know you mentioned on the podcast. I highlighted in my article that Ahmad Wagner was going to be a load, and that was one of the guys that I really thought Amari Bernie was going to be necessary in order to to help stop. And then certainly with Bernie not in the game, they weren't able to do that. And then you don't have CJ CJ Henderson either, and so having that guy out, I'm sure, makes a difference as well. But you know, at the end of the day, it's next man up, just like it is a quarterback. And and the defensive backs, I think you can say, struggled, but made the plays that they needed to when they had to, especially in the fourth quarter. And you know, that that's one of the big reasons why Florida was able to get out with a win. Yeah, and also with the, the highlight there, and when probably the biggest reason uh, the defense was able to come out with a win, and you know, stopping the Kentucky run game. Uh, nowhere like it was last year, and the main reason for that is David Reese uh, finishing with a career-high 16 tackles, named SEC Defensive Player uh, of the Week this week. Um, topping he, With those 16 tackles, uh, is topping his previous career high of 14. Uh, a total he reached twice in his career. He had 14 last year against Missouri uh, and against Florida State in 2017. Antonio Morrison was the last Gator with uh, a 16-tackle game uh, back in 2015 versus Ole Miss. So, well, we definitely saw the difference David Reese makes. And a team that – when you go against a team that likes to run the ball and really had the potential to hit big plays in the run game that we saw in the first two games, especially with Cavassier Smoke, David Reese was pretty much the reason those uh, a lot of those big runs were limited. Yeah, and the big thing I think for Reese is, you know, you, the fourth – the fourth down and one that they stopped going into the fourth quarter, that was Reese making that tackle. But one of the things that you maybe don't remember is that he also made the tackle on third down and two to prevent Kentucky <laughs> from converting that one too. So, I mean, you know, when you make 16 tackles and the, only, and the other team only has, you know, <laughs> only has 76 plays, you're going to be involved in a lot of them. But those plays where Kentucky had to punt a couple of times, um, you know, where it was, where it was third and, or I'm sorry, fourth and short, and they had to punt. Reese was involved in those and particularly that fourth down sort of changed the momentum. That was one where if Kentucky gets the first down, they run three more minutes off the clock. Florida's still looking its wounds from, from Frank's being injured. Trask hasn't even really been in the game yet. And, you know, instead they stuff him on fourth down. They get, they get the ball back, Trask drives him down the field and all of a sudden you're down five. So, um, you know, I, th- I think, Reese probably is the one who had the play of the game when you really think about it. Cause if Kentucky converts that fourth down, I think the game's probably over. Um, but he was able to get in there, hat on a hat, stop the guy and, and Florida was off from there. Yep. Uh, well, anything else from the Kentucky game? Uh, catch your eye before I let you go uh, before. And uh, I want to get your, a couple thoughts from uh, the Tennessee game coming up too. Yeah. I mean, I, I think one of the things is, is that they made Sawyer Smith look like a rock star for the first three quarters. Mm. Um, and, and that's something I think you got to be a little bit concerned about. I mean, Smith is a, is a decent player, played at Troy, played pretty well, but he played better against Florida than he did against a lot of teams when he was at Troy. And his splits sort of indicated that he was effective against very good def- or he was effective against very bad defenses and not effective at all against very good defenses. And so, you know, what does that say about Florida's defense that he was really effective in this game? Now, part of it is all the injuries that Florida had. I mean, you had Zaniga out and um, you had Bernie out and you had Henderson out and then you get Steiner ejected for targeting and all those sorts of things start to add up. But at the same time, that does say something about the depth for the defense. We're only three games in and we're really starting to sort of see some of the injuries come come home to roost. And, you know, a team like Alabama loses a guy and the next guy comes in and really, usually, there's very little drop-off there. 
and Florida really needs their backups to provide that as well as, as they get into the teeth of the SEC schedule. So that's probably what I would take. Like the biggest negative that I would take away from the game is I do think that, um, you know, it looked like with some of the backups in the game that Grantham was considerably less aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming he was less aggressive because he felt like he had to be because he didn't want to expose his safeties um, or expose his corners to, you know, in man-to-man coverage. But that's the way Grantham wants to play. And that's the way his defense is set up. And if you're not able to do that when the next guy comes in, I don't know that that bodes well if there are any more injuries throughout the year. So um, you know, we'll have to see how that goes. But certainly if Henderson you know, can't come back or doesn't come back at 100%, um, I think that does maybe maybe foreshadow some of the issues that Florida may have, particularly as they end up in the in the stretch where they're playing guys like Fromm and Burrow. You know, Are they going to be able to hold up against those guys, especially as the attrition gets a little bit worse throughout the season? Yep, I will. So Tennessee will be coming to the swamp here for the uh, first home SEC game of the year. And uh, look, I'll have my preview episode out later this week, but we'll get your thoughts here uh, on your appearance of Gators Breakdown this week. And look, I mean, I look at it this way. Tennessee's desperate. They're they're probably looking at this game to, to turn around their season. Uh, beating UT Chattanooga last week doesn't really do much in the mind of, uh, of what people think about Tennessee right now. So uh, a chance to save their season, a chance to turn around their season and, and forget about the loss to Georgia State and, and the loss to BYU is to go to, to, to Gainesville and beat your rival. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, Trask obviously showed himself to be quite competent on the road. And now he gets a home game, so you figure that there will be a boost from from that. And certainly, I think some of the negativity that surrounded Franks is not going to surround Trask, at least not early on this year. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think there's a reason that Felipe Franks was a starter. And so you do figure that as people get more and more film on Trask, that they're going to be able to do a few things maybe to, to put him in a situation where he's uncomfortable or something that he hasn't seen before. So if I'm Jeremy Pruitt, what I'm doing is I'm, I'm, I'm disguising coverages. I'm trying to make it look like I'm playing a zone when I'm in man trying to make it look like I'm playing man when I'm in zone um, you know sort of play around with the safeties and some of the more basic things that as a quarterback you look at for keys let's 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 mess with those a little bit now does he have the defensive personnel to do that uh, maybe maybe not but you know BYU beat beat USC the other mm-hmm. day so it's not as if you know you do wonder whether obviously the Georgia State loss is terrible yeah but you wonder whether the BYU loss is maybe an indication that Tennessee is a little bit better than what we think. And then you can't really learn anything about this week's <laughs> this week's just yeah. drubbing. And so, yeah, I mean, they're a wounded team. They're coming in. They have their starting quarterback. I don't know whether we think he's all that great or not, but they do have their starting quarterback. If Florida can't get pressure, it's going to be a problem because I don't know that the defensive backs, especially with Henderson out, are going to be able to hold up if they don't get pressure. Now, last year, against Tennessee, there was pressure the whole game. I mean, you had Zaniga and Polite both coming around the edge. Ankrum had an interception. They were able to get a safety after they pinned him deep on a punt. So the Florida defensive line was in the backfield the entire time. And I haven't had a chance to break it down on the on the tape this year, but Tennessee's offensive line was just awful last year. I mean, going into the game, they had played West Virginia to open up the season, and their offensive line was just getting beat off the ball, and they couldn't hold up, and they couldn't hold the point of attack. And if that's happening again, then I think Florida is going to pretty much walk away with this one. But but if Tennessee can hold up on the offensive line, I think they'll have an opportunity just because Florida is pretty thin at the defensive back position, um, especially if Bernie's out again. Yeah, so uh, I'll end the episode with that and what Dan Mullen had to say about injuries this uh, today. Uh, he says, Bernie will be back. Uh, so we'll have Amari Bernie out there. And the important ones here, are CJ Henderson and Zuniga, you know, on the edge of returning. Uh, it feels good about them returning this week, but probably won't practice this week. So we'll see how two weeks off affects CJ Henderson. If he is going to play versus Tennessee and not, you know, not practicing for, for two weeks, if that's going to be the case uh, there, we won't be at practice, of course, and we won't know if CJ Henderson practices or not, but I know he tried to give it a go uh, versus Kentucky uh and but didn't really take place in warm up. So he was saying the night before, I think that they were going to you know try it, and he felt he felt good, but they were going to give it a try in warm ups. But uh, he didn't even really warm up in Lexington all that well. Did make the trip, uh, but uh, just didn't really go through warm ups there. So we'll see. Uh, you know if we. Uh, you know, if um, CJ Henderson's out at practice, you know, when the media gets to go uh, and be available after practice, if he's even 
uh, out there if he's taking part in anything. But uh, Mullen says probably won't practice this week. Zaniga probably won't practice this week, and they're and they are on the edge of returning while feeling good. Uh, about their return. So will, it will be important, I think, to get Zaniga Henderson back out there uh, and, and Amari Bernie as well. Yeah, I mean, I think it's also important, though, that, you know, guys like Bogle and and Carter and, and all those guys in the defensive line are going to have to step up, right? Yeah. But this is, this is really why we stress recruiting the way we do is that um, it's not necessarily that your starters are any worse than the guys who are out there, though sometimes that th- that's the case. But in Florida's case, I don't think it is. It's the question of the second wave of guys who come in. And you know going into an SEC season that you're going to have to rotate all those guys because you know they're not going to be able to hold up. So guys like guys like Conliffe and Slayton are important because guys like Campbell and, and Shuler at some point are going to need a blow, and you can't have a huge drop-off. And it's the same thing at defensive end. It's the same thing at corner. It's the same thing at quarterback, right? So um, – so that that to me is one of the areas where it'll be really interesting to see, you know, in some capacity, it might be a healthy thing for some of those guys to be out and not be able to play against Tennessee because it's an SEC game. It's at home, so you don't necessarily have to worry about you, know, you should be able to get a good jump. Um, Tennessee's offensive line, like I said, I'm not sure is going to be all that great. And so maybe it gives you an opportunity to get those guys some experience in a game. that You really should win and should win pretty handily. But, uh, you know. Stranger things have happened, and certainly the Tennessee game is always is always a little bit goofy from time to time. So you know we'll especially, see. Especially the last two times in the swamp has been really goofy. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll take another one of those too because those are at least fun. But you know, it is something that I, I brought up in the article this week is that you know the two games against the Power Five teams that Florida's played this year have been one score games. Mullins mm-hmm. now five and zero oh in those games in his time at Florida, and we saw that with McElwain that he was sort of, you know, putting a bandaid on a bullet hole for a while with some of those, with some of those, uh, close wins. And eventually when those close wins started to turn around, then, then the 2017 season went, <laughs> went in the wrong direction. Now, I don't think that's going to happen with Mullen. I think he's a better coach than McElwain. I think this is probably a better team at the same time. Eventually when you keep playing with fire, you're going to, you're going to lose one of those games. Cause you know, if Kentucky makes a 35 yard field goal, this is a completely different conversation today. If the pass interference flag against Miami in the end zone doesn't get picked up, then this is a completely different conversation. I mean, we might be talking about a one and two team if those two plays go the opposition's way. And so, you know, you do need to take that into consideration when you're looking at this team and where they are. I mean, obviously they're three and zero. That's great. Um, you know, they're ranked in the top ten, and I think deserve to be there because of because of the way they played and the teams that they played. But you know, you can't keep playing with fire over and over and over again and expect not to get burned. And so they're going to have to start taking care of business against these teams that are not the upper echelon of the SEC. And I think Kentucky's a pretty good team. I think Miami's probably a pretty good team, but they're not the upper echelon. And so, you know, the upper echelon's coming, and they're going to have to clean some things up before then. All right, that's Will Miles, and that's a lot of what you can uh, expect uh, coming up, Will, this week on Reading Reaction for your Tennessee preview, right? Yeah, absolutely, man. So we'll have that out on Tuesday. We'll have a couple other things up too this week, I think. So I'll certainly go over there and check it out, and thanks, everybody, for the support. All right, that's Will Miles. You can find him at readandreaction.com and on Twitter at WillMilesSEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SCC. Uh, be on the lookout for the Tennessee preview here on Gators Breakdown later this week as well. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. Gators Breakdown.